You are listening to Give Grief a Chance, and I'm your host and advanced grief recovery specialist, Diane Morgan. And these podcasts are all about bringing grief awareness out into the world, because even today, my friends, grief is hidden and it's tucked away. So come along and join me on this journey. Let's start to bring grief out into the open and maybe you'll be brave enough to give your grief a voice. This is episode 156. Hello to all of my lovely podcast listeners and welcome to this week's episode. I hope that you're all doing really well and as always I'd like to say a big thank you to everyone who takes the time to listen to these podcasts. So this week I am chatting with Mark Chesnut. Now Mark is the winner of the 2019 Travel Writing Award. He's a New York City-based freelance travel writer and editor. And in addition to his own memoir, which is called Prepare for Departure, Mark's work has appeared in Folders, Huffington Post, Latin Trade, the Miami Herald, and many, many more. Now, his new book, Preparing for Departure, showcases what happens when a permissive mother and a misfit son face death while revisiting life. And this is Mark's first full-length work of creative non-fiction. And it's going to be released this coming July. I believe it's July 26. So without further ado, let's have a chat with Mark. Welcome to Give Grief a Chance podcast, Mark. It's great to have you here with us today, and I'm really looking forward to our chat together. That sounds good. Thank you so much for for having me. I appreciate it. So I'm going to jump right in, and I'm going to ask you my first question, which is, how would you describe yourself as a griever? That's a really interesting and deep question. So, um, (laughs) you know, we almost everyone has gone through some kind of grief in their in their lives, unless they're in, in a very early stage in their life. Um, there's so many different types of grief, and so um, I, my the the biggest sense of grief that I faced recently is the loss of my mother. And the book that I wrote, Prepare for Departure, actually was was started as as a way of dealing with that grief and the pending grief even before she passed away. So I would say to describe myself as a, as a griever, um, I think like a lot of people I've experienced loss. And so I've been looking for the right way to, to channel that grief and to interpret the grief and to deal with the grief. And so mm-hmm. everyone is so different. We have different ways of, of approaching it. And yep. so I think it's really helpful to speak with other people about how they've done it and the different ways that people, that people experience and channel it. Tell us how using humor has helped you to cope with grief. Well, I think it dates back to my family and my, my, my grandparents and my mother, um, especially my grandfather, always had such a great sense of humor. And so that translated even into some more difficult times during other times when we were grieving over, over family members, for example. Mm -hmm. And so I think like psychologically it, 
provides a, sen a, a brief sense of relief or perhaps just a different, a different sort of release on a different side of your brain, maybe. I'm not an expert. I'm not as much of an expert as you are. Um, but I think that it's helped us to get through some of the difficult times because they do say that laughter, for example, is extremely therapeutic and it gets more oxygen to your brain and into right. your system. And so I think in times of high stress, like, like moments of grief, I think that can be a really helpful thing because it's, you know, physically and psychologically, I think it can make a big difference. Absolutely. I know with my family, um, in, uh, in 2008, I lost my dad, my brother and my mom all within eight months of each other. And my dad, I mean, his whole funeral was just around uh, humor because that was his personality. But there was absolutely no way could we throw that in with my brother or my mom because they were two completely different people. So I think, you know, some people cannot find humor in grief, but I think if you can find it, it's great. Right, right. And like the examples you gave in your, within your family are such a, a good way of, of looking at it, because with some people, it is just natural that the humor incorporates right. itself as part of the grieving process. With other people, it just doesn't because we are all so different. Absolutely. So can you share the emotional toll that you felt of caring for an elderly parent? It's as anyone who's know, knows who's who's done that. Um, it it is it's it's exhausting emotionally and physically, and it's it's difficult. And I think in a way, since we are talking about grief, it's it it's kind of like preemptive grief in a way because you realize that you're getting these signals based on the situation that you're dealing with that that you are going to be dealing with grief at some point in the future. Um, so. It's it's was one of the most difficult things that I've ever gone through in my life um, because you care about your parents, you care about what it, whoever, whatever loved one that it might be, if it's a friend or your uncle aunt or, or spouse yeah. or whatever, um, and you want them to be you want them to be you know not in pain, you want them to be comfortable and you want them to be happy, and it's not always easy, and so it's just it's a balancing act because you also have to try to stay healthy yourself so that you can take care of them. Mm -hmm. So it's a very complex thing, isn't it? It is. How long were you taking care of your mom for? Well, she um, moved down. I live in New York City and she moved down to New York City to be close to my sister and me in, mm -hmm. um, uh, in, uh, in, into a nursing home just a few blocks from my house in 2015. And so she was there a total of, of nine months. And so then she passed away. So in terms of the intense caretaking um, it was a nine month period when she moved in near me. And then I was, you know, visiting her regularly and she didn't live with us, but she was in the nursing home just a few blocks away. So right. she was very close, luckily. Right. Right. Um, and how do you find emotional support in times of grief? Uh, I think again, everybody is different. So I think everyone will have different answers to this, um, which is good. Um, in my particular case, my, my husband, my, my spouse, was really what he was the the main person who helped me deal with it um because he he was since we obviously we lived together we're married so he would visit her as well also so i knew if i if i had to take a business trip for a couple of days he i knew he was visiting her too i felt where, that she was well cared for but also he was just always there to listen and i think having someone there to listen whether it's a family member or a friend or a counselor i think is such a a, a huge thing and then the other thing that helped me because I was already, I've, I'm a travel writer. And so I just felt this instinct to write everything down um, that was happening with, with my mother, 
because I guess that in my particular case, and everyone is different, obviously, but in my case, it helped me to to vent in a way or also to record the difficult times that we were going through together. Um, so that helped me to process it. And that's the book came about really by accident because I started doing that. That's great. So so once you knew that she was, I don't want to say going downhill or, you know, a health had changed. <clears throat> excuse me. Is that when you started to write? Um, I think I started to write pretty much right when she arrived at the nursing home in New York City okay. went from the day she she moved because it was suddenly I just felt we were in this situation that was so, you know, horrible and so difficult and so emotional. And I just needed an emotional. And I spoke with I spoke with Angel. I spoke with my husband, uh, with a couple of friends. And my sister obviously was a huge, huge support, too, because she and I were dealing with all of the logistics and 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 taking yeah. care of all the details. So I had all of that. But the writing, I guess I, it wasn't quite enough. And, you know, you, because it's never enough when you're dealing with a situation like that. So I just would come home sometimes and just immediately start jotting down notes of what happened or things that my mother said. Because also, I think I started realizing that I was going to be losing her at some point. And I didn't want to lose all the memories, the good and the bad. And so I didn't yep. want to forget a single word that she said. So I'd start jotting down notes or typing notes, things like that. Right. Was she, did she have Alzheimer's or was she, um, you know, was it just, was it, I shouldn't say just, but was it old age or, or. Right. It was actually, she had a brain tumor okay. and, and, and she had made the, the personal decision. She did not want to get treated for it because she was, she was 88 or no, actually she was 89. I think when she was diagnosed with it. And okay. so she said, I'm, I'm old enough. I don't want to have to go through some horrible treatment when I may only live a couple more years anyway. So she was, she was a very wise woman. She was a very smart woman. And so she, it's possible she may have had Alzheimer's too. She was never diagnosed with it, okay. um, but she had, but she definitely had a brain tumor. And so that affected in some ways it was similar to Alzheimer's. So it affected parts of her memory. Um, mm -hmm. You know, she, she lost a lot of her short-term memory. So we could talk about happily, we could talk about things that happened when she was growing up in Louisville, Kentucky in the 1940s. Um, so we talked a lot about happy stuff like that, but she couldn't tell me what she had lunch for lunch that mm -hmm. on that day. It's hard. It's hard watching somebody so close. I know my mom had Alzheimer's and I know just from the the first, you know, when we really realized it was Alzheimer's, that, that you know, anticipatory grief that sort of kicks in because, you know, it's not going to get any better. And then watching right. them slowly slip away is it's it's hard. Right. And was your mother aware of, of what was happening also or how did she no. feel? No, she, she didn't. Okay. No, no. Um, for my mom, the one thing that she didn't want to do was go in a nursing home. And unfortunately, mm. that's where she ended up. And that was one of the hardest things to to was to pack up her case and and watch her go yeah. into a, a nursing home. But there was no way that anybody could take care of her. And it was the best place for, her, you know, but it's a similar situation for us, too, because, yeah, that's. My mother for year, for decades, really, even when she was just, you know, 60 years old, she was saying, if I ever have to go into a nursing home, just take a gun out and shoot me instead. Right. So, you know, and I think a lot of us feel that way. I mean, I personally feel that way, too. But unfortunately, at some point, some some of us get to the point where that's really the only option where we can still be cared for, isn't it? Right, right. Definitely, definitely. Now, could you talk to us about mourning and navigating the inevitable loss of a parent as the health declines? You know, in a way, as, as her health was declining and, and the end was approaching, 
you know, it's strange as I look back now and as I look back as I was writing it too, I realized mm-hmm. like some things I didn't understand and, or, or I think part of it maybe was like a psychological block, you know? So in some ways I knew like, oh, I may be losing her very soon. And that's why I was, you know, writing everything down. But in another way, sometimes I, uh, doctors or nurses would say something to me and I would, I would say, oh, okay. And I wouldn't even understand what they're saying. I, afterward, like at one point somebody said, I guess the doctor said, well, you'll, you, um, the person who will contact you when the time comes will most, most likely be the hospice nurse. And this is towards the very end. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, okay, thank you. And then uh, like a day later, I realized, oh, they're talking about when she dies. Like if things would just go right over my head. Yeah. So I don't know if it was denial in a way, or if it was just, I was so overwhelmed with things, but yeah, it was, it was strange that I wouldn't under, I, I myself did personally didn't understand some of the things that were being said to me. I get it. I mean, I really do. I understand because it's, it's almost like you're in this fog. Right. Yes. And did really she, is. did she have her, you know, plans as to when she died, was that all sorted out before, you know, were you able to talk about that before she got really, really sick? For the most part, she was really well organized. And so, which was, which made things so much easier. So, um, and I know you had a funeral director on a, on a previous episode who spoke a little bit about making plans ahead of time. And really yep. that is a good idea because it makes so, things so much easier. So yeah, she had already um, play, put my sister's and my name on, on most of her bank accounts. So it made mm-hmm. it easier for us to work around things like that. And, um, you know, she, she kept good records and everything. So she really, and also she'd made it very clear about her wishes. You know, she wanted to be cremated and she didn't need any kind of special religious service or anything like that. So she made things a lot easier in that way. Um, The one thing we were super surprised about to find out after she passed away was that she did not have, she did not have a will, which was very strange because she was so well organized about everything else. Um, you know, everything is preparing for her own yep. death, but for whatever reason that had just slipped past luckily because, because she didn't have a lot of money, apparently it's, it's easier to, to figure out the will if the person is not leaving a lot in the first place. Right, <laughs> so in a way, right. it, 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 it didn't become a huge headache, but it was a little bit of a surprise, but for the most part, she, she did make things easy. Good, good. Where are her ashes? Her ashes, actually, we just asked for them to be disposed because she she didn't she said that she didn't really want to make a big deal about it. So, okay. so, so yeah, we just asked for those to be disposed of. We did talk about doing other things, but but we ended up just doing that. But we did have a really nice uh, celebration of her in in my hometown, the town where she lived for about. 50 years or something. And so that was a wonderful celebration. It wasn't a traditional funeral service, but um, she was a very social person with tons of friends and she worked until until she was age 88 as a historian. Oh my gosh. Wow. We had a great celebration and that was really one of the, one of the nicest things to to do. That's beautiful. I love it. So what would you say are the most unexpected parts of grief from your experience? That's a really good question too. Um, uh, you know, one of the things is, is the idea of, like you said, kind of being in a fog. And mm-hmm. I guess maybe I didn't realize that maybe we should be prepared. Those of us who are, are grieving in an anticipatory sense or afterwards, we need to prepare for ourselves being maybe in a little bit of a confused fog. And also I realized too, that during that time in the months just before her death and right after I made some bad personal decisions, not related to her even, but you mm-hmm. know, like at work or like interpersonal relationships or conversations. And so I guess like I, if, if I, if I had to go through it again, I think I would try to be more aware of 
giving myself more space and room. And also not that I should not make any major decisions that aren't related to that person I'm caring for at that time to try to like ease back on other things because I feel like I wasn't emotionally balanced. And so I didn't necessarily do the best things for myself at some point during that time. So that was one of the surprising things. Mm -hmm. You know, think about making a decision and it's a tough one for people because it's a time when you actually might have to make a lot of decisions. Is there any advice that you could give to people who are caregivers of elderly parents and, you know, like any tips on self-care or... Well, yeah, self-care. And I think that is important. Um, like, I, I can't remember if I read this or if my sister said it to me or, but some, somewhere I heard that, mm-hmm. you know, the concept mm-hmm. they say, when you fly in a plane, they say, if, if, if there's a loss in cabin pressure and the oxygen mask come down, you need to, you know, it doesn't matter if you're traveling with your six-year-old daughter or your elderly grandmother, or, you need to put your own mask on first so you can better serve the needs, better help the person sitting next to you. Right. So, I think that that kind of a concept is important and and valid. So I think, you know, we're so worried about caring for our loved one, which is super important. But at the same time, we do need to take, we need to be cognizant, I guess, to make sure that we're healthy, as healthy as we can be and do what needs to be. For example, you know, I, I felt like first, like, I can't, I'm a travel writer, so I have to travel for work. And at first I took time off for like three or four months. And I said, I didn't go anywhere. But, you know, my sister and my husband both said, you know, I had a trip opportunity for like for a paid work, obviously for uh, like three or four days. And they Mm -hmm. both said, you know, you need to get away because you need to be able to be doing your own work and to, you know, it'll be healthy for you. And it was, and the good thing is I still knew there were other people that are friends and both of them that were taking care of my mother. So I think to make sure to, you know, self-care is, is definitely important and it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes to try to figure out how to do that. Yes. And sometimes you don't want to. I mean, I think just even, you know, for some people taking a shower can be a huge thing. You know, I always say we can't pour from an empty cup, you know, and we have to give to ourselves. So you do what you find, what you can do, even if it's the littlest thing to take care of yourself. Could you tell us how the actual writing about grief, the writing process has helped you with the heat on this healing journey it really has helped and i think this is super important for this could be helpful for everybody not in terms mm-hmm. of that it has to be writing because we all have different interests we all have different ways that we express ourselves or deal with emotions you know some people yep. you know love to cook or some people love to hike or some people whatever it might be there are different ways we can interpret or deal with the grief but in my case Uh, Like I said, I just started instinctively um, writing down everything that was happening and quote, you know, writing quotes for my mother. There'd be times sometimes I'd be sitting next to her bed at the nursing home and she would say something that was super funny or super sad. And I would start tapping onto my cell phone even just because I'm like, I thought like, oh, I didn't want, I don't want to forget that she said this because it's either it's so hilarious or it is sad or whatever it might be. And so that's really how it came about. I think in a way it was twofold in a way. I didn't want to lose those, these last moments, these last few months with my mother. I wanted to remember everything. And in another way, it was just a way of, of channeling and dealing with and interpreting my grief. And so as I did, as I started writing and I still didn't know it would become the book that it is prepare for departure. Um, the, the wonderful thing is that first I was just writing only the gloomiest stuff and it was completely bleak, you know, about, because it's a horrible situation, Right. but then, happy, really happy memories started bubbling up from the past, from my childhood. And that's really when it became a full manuscript over time, because 
I realized, oh, you know, she said this one in the nursing home, but that reminds me of the time when I was growing up and she yelled at me because I put my foot in the cake that she, in the, <laughs> when she was delivering the cake to a friend in her, in her car, you know, things like that. So, so that's, was really a wonderful thing about writing is that it allowed me to document the difficult times, but then the, the happy times also bubbled up mm-hmm. and I was able to document all of that. So I have really nice memories, but there are a lot of different ways that people can, can, can sure. do that in a way, right? Yeah. So what would you say is unique about your book, Mark? Um, I think that that's a good question. I think it's unique in terms of the way that it ties in together, the 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 grieving process, the um, what am I trying to say? Anticipatory grieving process mm-hmm. at the last nine months of her life. That's where the book is set in terms of being in the quote unquote present. It's set in her our time together. But also it has tons of, it's also a lot of flashbacks about our life together, how we grew up. Also, since I'm a travel writer, it has the the kind of unique travel angle because life is a journey if we want to be Mm -hmm. symbolic about it. And so the book is about the journey. My mother's in my journey together from my childhood to her death, but it's also about how she gave me the tools to become who I am and to become a travel writer and how travel you know, and the, the journey of life has always been something very compelling for me and, and for her. I love the um, the title, too. Yeah, I'm so glad that the publisher didn't change it because they say sometimes when, you know, publishers are working, they, they might totally overhaul everything. But I was really pleased because I came up with that myself and I thought it served it. It serves well, serves the book well on on multiple levels. So, right, yeah, I'm and glad I think as a travel writer, you know, preparing for departure is just great. I mean, tying it in with the grief and death is it's beautiful. So, kudos, well done on that. I, I really thank you, that. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and so, the book will be out, be published when. The uh, the book is already available for um, for pre order on Amazon okay. and Barnes and Noble and IndieBound, um, and the it actually publishes on July is it twenty third or twenty sixth? I think it's the twenty sixth, so late okay. July. Okay. Uh, but you can pre you can pre order now, and it's available both in in uh, in paperback, so print version, and also the ebook version. It may be it's going to be in bookstores, but mostly in indie bookstores because since okay. it's an indie it's an indie publisher, so we're working small scale in terms of bookstore presence. But it will be on all the big book platforms online, as well as smaller ones. Like there's one called IndieBound. So if you like to support in independent bookstores and oh, book publishers, okay. you can order via IndieBound. Although Amazon obviously is the is the big the big go to for for every kind of book purchase too. Well, this is great to know. I'm really excited. I can't wait to read it. And it comes out the day after my birthday, so I'll remember it. <laughs> even better, even better. Good, good. Well, I hope yeah. it can be part of your celebration then. <laughs> that's right, that's right. But, you know, Mark, I want to say a big thank you for taking the time and, to, you know, sharing your story and your journey through grief and telling us about the book. It's very exciting. Well, I want to thank you so much, Diane, for for allowing me this opportunity. And I think what you do with your podcast and with your services is so important because, as you say, you know, grief is sometimes, you know, kind of pushed off to the side or we don't like to talk about it. And what so what you're doing is really important because you're giving people a platform and for us to be able to share, I think, is really helpful to everyone. Thank you. I mean, I totally agree. And that's why I love my guests that have something to share your journey with your mom is just beautiful. And I'm sure it will resonate with a lot of people. Great. Well, thank you again, Diane. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks, Mark.
Okay, you lovely people, that is it for this week's podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it and that it was helpful for you. If you'd like to find out more about my services and programs, then please visit my website, givegriefachance.com. There you can drop me an email, you can ask a question or share your story via voice message and I'll be happy to play it on the podcast. And while you're over there, why don't you check out my free gifts to you? There's a guided meditation to help you sleep, a grief recovery ebook with 61 tips on the experience of grief and how to move through it, plus my fillable grief worksheets, which will help you to process your memories, thoughts and emotions. So please feel free to use them. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate it, like it and share it. And if you feel like it, come and join me on Instagram at Give Grief a Chance Coach. And last but not least, I'd like to invite any women who might be struggling with their grief to come and join us in a safe and nurturing group on Facebook. It's called Life After Loss with Diane Morgan. And I would be honoured if you would come and join us and give your grief a voice. Okay, my friends, take good care and have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm.